Hello and welcome back to the Real Men Cry and Laugh podcast starring Tim Taylor featuring Chris Ye and <laughs> here we are again we are now into the doldrums of winter it's cold it's wet and yet you still look as bright as the noonday sun covered in your Kansas City Chiefs gear that's right and, and you know why that is I, I have a skincare regimen I have a skincare regimen of uh, uh, really good friends of mine. And the fiance is a good friend of mine too. Her, his fiance works for Fenty, which is um, Rihanna's company. Rihanna's brand. So she gives me, she gives me free stuff from time to time. And it is top quality stuff. And I was walking with a friend of mine who's a woman and she says, your skin looks dewy. Do you know well, what that I, means? I, apparently. I mean, again, I've always, every time I've seen Rihanna, uh, her skin does seem to look very good. So <laughs> Yeah, that I guess makes she's sense. both the spokesperson and the president. I guess so. And to our beloved listeners, uh, please remember to subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. That super helps us, really helps us. And uh, we still have international listeners and uh, also pretty even men and women. And uh, we will eventually have a YouTube channel. There was some confusion about that earlier. I thought I had told Chris and Chris said, I said I was going to do it. So it'll be coming soon. We will have a YouTube channel. Um, hey, do you remember the, mo the movie, the Muppet movie? Of course, the great Muppet movie, as opposed to uh, a Muppet Christmas Carol or the Muppets right. Take Manhattan. Right. Or even the Muppets reboot movie starring Jason Siegel. I saw that one. That was actually pretty good. Very good. Um, so my Spotify recommended uh, the song Moving Moving Right Along. dig a dig a Yes. Fozzie and Kermit. And Fozzie Bear is the best comic ever. I'm just saying that. That's Fozzie Bear is the best comic ever. But, oh, my God. Do you remember the people who were in that? Well, there were a lot of people in the a movie. Lot. I can't even remember them at this point. So uh, Mel Brooks, Steve Martin, Richard Pryor, Carol Kane. Um, what's her name? Um, gosh, I can't remember her name. She's a really good actress and funny. Um, there's a bunch, Orson Welles is in it. Um, Tim Burton was a puppeteer in it. There's like, there's like 20 other people. I'm, I'm surprised Vic Tabak wasn't in it. The fan fantastic Vic Tabak. But, uh, uh, anyway, so I shared that on Facebook and a bunch of people commented because we all remember it. Um, I had the LP and, then someone said, "By LP, me, you mean the long-playing vinyl record?" I do. Not I may a still have partner. it. I may still have it. Um, Vinyl's made a comeback. Kids love vinyl these I days. I know. I know. I used to have a big collection of of. Uh, I used to have a big collection of um, vinyl, and then one night at a party that we had in college, somebody puked all over my records. So um, a few of them had to be disposed. Uh, so, anyway, so someone recommended the song. I hope that something better comes along. First of all, I thought it was this, from the show Annie, but I listened to it and it's Rolf the dog, mm -hmm. R-A-W-L-F, the dog. And he's, he's just, I just, there was one line that caught my eye. There's something like after a long day, I like to go home and have a couple of beers. There's just something, I don't know. It's just like, well, Rolf's always a been tricky. a very down to earth kind of guy. <laughs> do you, do you think they, um, do you think each one of them represents some part of, the, the collective personality? Well, of course. I mean, again, you have these brilliant puppeteers, Jim Henson, Frank Oz, and many other legends. Yep. And they're performers. They're not just 
tech uh, technicians manipulating yeah. puppets they have to create actual characters and right. sell it they're they're doing the vocal performance as well as the physical performance and so yeah. obviously it has to be some element of themselves what that says about frank oz when he's playing miss piggy i don't know that's something that actually was <laughs> an issue explored but why well i'll tell you uh, one of the movies that frank oz worked on and i believe this is the case uh, was the movie The Island of Dr. Moreau, Frank Oz being a very famous director as well. And in that, he was directing Marlon Brando in his final screen role. And Marlon Brando refused to refer to him by name and only called him Miss Piggy. <laughs> I didn't know that. So was he getting upset about it? Uh, so he eventually wouldn't take direction from Frank Oz. Frank Oz had to relay his directions to someone else and have that person relay them to... To, to Brando. Amazing. So just so, maybe it was David Thewlis who was also in the movie. I don't know for sure. So uh, it was Madeline Kahn. I almost said Cloris Leachman. I'm like, that isn't right, but it is. Uh, Elliot Gould. Um, <laughs> James Coburn was El Slizo Cafe owner. Um, and uh, there's a few other people I want to mention. Um, John Landis was in it. Uh, and I know there's a couple other people, but I, I just couldn't believe it. I, the, the character I really remember was Steve Martin because he was kind of a worked up uh, hotel employee or something like that. So uh, anyways, good, good memories. Um, anything interesting happened to you? Like this is uh, this will be this is the New Year's edition of the Real Men Cry and Laugh podcast. So uh, we have something fun in store, but anything interesting and exciting going on in the world of Christy. Actually, I know there's a ton of things that are going on with you, but anything you want to share? You know, I really feel like this is one of those quieter times of year. Hopefully it'll give me a chance to catch up on things. Uh, meanwhile, uh, obviously the other thing that we keep doing is playing with our good friend, chat GPT. I don't okay. know if I brought my <laughs> chat GPT computer with me today. <laughs> I was in such a hurry. I completely forgot about it. Our uh, third co-host. We may have to be chat GPT list today. Okay. All right. That's okay. Um, maybe you can play chat GPT and I'll just prompt you and you can say stuff. Um, all right. Well, uh, um, so I think that's it. I think that's that's it. Like it's time to uh time to go into today's um theme. And I was kicking around with Chris and what we decided was uh we're going to do the best and worst of 2022 and it can be anything. Doesn't matter what it is. And we do, we each don't know what other one is thinking. And so probably briefly make the case mm -hmm. and then uh and then discussion and frivolity will ensue make sense sounds good okay all right um do you want to start or do you want me to start uh why don't you start first i want to see which direction you're going to take this in okay um let's start a little lighter because i got some dark ones in here uh oh i freaking hate i thought you said you're going to start lighter well, this is, it's a light thing I hate, right? Okay. Actually, I'll, actually, you know what? I'll start with an even lighter thing I don't like. Mm. The overuse of the word literally. That is a troubling thing. We can blame Rob Lowe. Oh, I haven't even thought about that from Parks and Rec. Yes. But Obviously, it's, it's not really Rob Lowe. It's really the writers as well. But they are right. responsible for literally the use of literally. I think, but the thing is, is the younger generation uses it 
all the time. Because they watch Park know. and Rec all the time. A lot well. of them don't know Parks and Rec. They only no, they watch Tic Tac. Really? Once they watch The Office, they started spreading out. I don't know about that. That's a- I, I, ask any kid, ask any teenage kid. Have they so seen The Office? Have they seen Friends? Have they seen Parks and Rec? And they'll say yes. So Everyone you went think, crazy recently over the fact that they made that Mill Filan show that was uh, debuted on Thirty Rock. Oh God, I love it. Well, so you think that Parks and Rec is a more notable uh, flame of um, uh, adoption? than kids seeing it and just using it. I think that Parks and Rec is probably the res- probably one of the main causes of this being used that way. Uh, so how can you possibly say that? Like how can like we so it, Tim, it may, it may I, have started with some of the things, but it grew because everybody's using it. Well, Tim, so you and I people- grew it, it may have been the start, but you and I grew up in an era where content didn't, didn't just linger around unless it happened to be in syndication. Right. So, you know, we would know Gilligan's Island, but we probably wouldn't know really that much about BJ and the bear. Right. All these obscure things just would not. Wasn't BJ around. and the bear the one where the guy was in a truck with a monkey? Yes. OK. God. Do you know who started that, by the way? Greg Evigod. <laughs> of course, I know Greg Evigod started <laughs> BJ and the bear. And then he later was a part of my two dads. Okay. Another All classic right. show, the 1980s. Okay. Anyways, my point is things wouldn't stick around. Whereas now, all the time, like one of the top songs of the year, many people believe the top song of the year was Kate Bush's Running Up the Hill, Running Up That Hill, because it appeared in the television show Stranger Things, which is available on Netflix. Stuff keeps coming back. Dreams by Fleetwood Mac made I a huge comeback with along with surf- Ocean Spray. Right. right. This is just the world we live in today. I th- Those are two absolutely horrible examples to rebut my thought because um, Stranger Things is popular right now. Right. Hugely popular. Parks right and Rec is popular right now. Not as popular as Stranger Things. So no, here's the, not, I didn't say that it was as popular as Stranger Things. I just said it was but popular. But you were saying it, you were saying it with an exasperation that sounded like you were making the assumption I did, but here's the thing. This is interesting. Mm-hmm. I was on a flight once and it was dark because it was an evening flight. And I went to the bathroom. I came back and I looked over the seats in front of me because I was watching Stranger Things 4. There were six screens open. They were all watching Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how we can, I don't know. I just hear literally way more often than I've ever have in my life. And so, um, I don't know. We we can agree to disagree on that. Do you do you find it annoying? I think when it's misused, it's annoying. Just like any word that's misused is annoying. So so how do people misuse it? Well, people use it as a point of emphasis instead of actually the case. Right? They <laughs> exactly. Would say, that's what I'm saying. They would say, "I am literally boiling alive right now." I'm like, "No, that's not true." Wait a minute. So it just this- isn't. Did uh, Rob Lowe and I literally died. No, you didn't. (laughs) People do say that. Well, do you think Rob Lowe was accurate in his usage in Parks and Rec? Uh, You know, I never actually watched Parks and Rec. Remember, I'm not a teenager. So my God. Yeah. Parks and Rec was awesome. Anyway, that's my number one. I've got a bunch of other ones to go. Uh, Are you ready for one? 
Uh, best or worst of 2022? Either one you want to do. It doesn't yeah. matter. I'll come back with the best. So I would say that best of 2022 is it is very rare that you're in a situation where some of the greatest athletes of all time are retiring around the same point. Okay. And this will actually tie into our Real Men Cry ses- uh, epi- uh, section later yep. on. Mm-hmm. But this year marked the retirements of two athletes who many consider the greatest of all time in their particular sport. And that would be Roger Federer and oh, yeah. Serena Williams, who oh both God, retired right. this year. Right. Both had won uh, broken records for the number of titles they had won. They dominated the world of tennis for far longer than anyone ever thought possible, right? Because it's normally a game of the young, and yet they kept dominating later and later in their careers. And they both retired this year. They did not get the storybook ending where they go out on top, you know, winning a one last championship, but they were still good. And they had the crowds behind them because people appreciate greatness. And so I think it's nice that we had some of the greatest ever who retired this year and that the people really got to appreciate it. And I think that the low the low light would be when one of the greatest ever, Tom Brady, could have chosen to retire but did not and instead decided to unretire, get divorced, and then suck. <laughs> Which, okay, that's the worst. So, so you're actually framing it a little differently. How do you feel about Tom Brady doing that? Uh, I feel great. Like, I'm not a Tom Brady fan. Yeah, he's the greatest of all time, but if he's going to sully his legacy, fantastic. <laughs> well, so um, I'm just kind of scrolling through some names. What's interesting about the thing you brought up is they are two of the all, the best all time in that sport. I think Serena is the best in, in our sport, and you could definitely make a case for Federer. Uh, but it's a sport that most people don't watch. People used more people watched it in the past. Yes. And again, the it may be that it will still make a comeback. Who knows? Who is more likely to make a comeback? No, I'm saying that tennis may make. Oh, a comeback. tennis might make a comeback. Okay, got it. Yeah. These things move in waves. I mean, think about how tennis reached its peak in many ways during the sort of 70s, 80s. Why did it reach its peak then? Why not earlier? Why not later? Who knows? It's, it's the Magic Johnson-Larry Bird effect. What made tennis so wildly popular in that time was when McEnroe and Borg started playing each other. There you go. They had a lot of characters. But so um, so which one did you feel more of a... Do you watch tennis? No. Okay. Um, so you probably don't have context on this to say which one impacted you more. Right. Neither of them particularly impacted me. I didn't realize this was like personal. I thought this was just talking in general. What were some of the best and worst things? No way. We're supposed to discuss it. Right. Aren't we? Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I, I, I come back to trying to figure it out, right? This, I didn't pick up on your literal, I literally didn't pick up on what you had in mind. Well, and I said right at the beginning of the podcast, we'll pick best or worst and then we'll discuss it. Yeah. But what I like, I like the way you framed it, which was like, it was a real highlight and actually quite a low light that Tom Brady came back. That's right. And he well, looks no, awful. It, it, it looks awful. And again, to think it's like, yes, I got divorced for this. <laughs> right. right. Totally. All right. All I'm right. not saying that if he won a Super Bowl, it would justify and, and make up for getting divorced. But it sure seems like, you know, he his wife divorced him specifically because he unretired. He broke his promise and unretired only to suck. Right. That is true. Who knows how much is that that personal stuff impacted him? But um, all right. 
Do you want to go? I guarantee you, nobody ever says, "Hey, you know what? We're about to go on a deep playoff run. We want our star quarterback to get divorced because that'll make him play better." (laughs) The anger and despair will make him a better quarterback. (laughs) Yeah, I guess there have been personal stuff that's not been good that has inspired some people, but uh, not at that level. Um, No. Okay. Anything more about that? No, I mean, again, I'm going to try to, I'll try to come up with something more personal for the next round, but it's that over doesn't have to be personal. It doesn't have to be personal. So this, this one is going to be worth talking about. I think a really good thing that happened in 2022 is Elon Musk bought Twitter. Oh, this is a good one. You're saying I know, it's a good you, thing. You will have a lot you're to say to about zag. this. You're trying to zag. You're pulling the zag. <laughs> and something tells me you have plenty to say about it. So, um, so and this is before I even found out about some of the things Twitter was doing, mm-hmm. like, like working together with the Um, So my perspective on any social media is the social media is not the problem. Mm-hmm. Challenge is who is taking it in. And if we're going to censor a bunch of stuff now there, I, I mean, if someone's like virulently racist and, um, threatening to kill a bunch of people like that's the kind of stuff that I don't think belongs anywhere. Uh, but um, if it's like, if someone says something that's provocative, like it's on us to have a conversation about that. Well, yes and no. So again, let's put it from one perspective, you're thinking about Twitter as if it were some sort of utility, some sort of place for intellectual discussion. It's a service that's operated to make money. And so, you know, at the end of the day, it's not subject to the First Amendment. And if I were running Twitter, my goal would be, how do I make sure the advertisers keep shoveling money in? Who do I need to banish in order to make that happen? Uh, Unless they're paying me money, they're banished. What do you mean paying you money? You mean that by their existence, they draw advertisers? Right. Well, or if they, it's like, hey, you want to be a racist? Sure. You just have to pay a million dollars a year. Oh, got it. Okay, got it. You're talking about the, the, the users paying him. Not the I was just listening to a podcast from some of the professors of Harvard Business School. It's a great podcast called After Hours. It helps mm-hmm. me connect with my alma mater. And they were predicting that Twitter will go from $5 billion in revenue, in, roughly speaking, in 2021 to $2 billion in 2023 because Elon Musk will have driven away so many advertisers. So um, you're talking now about the market value of the company. And I'm not talking about that. Yeah, uh, I'm talking I'm, about the the the, mar- the 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 existence of it. And my I'm perspective- saying you can never pull that. You can never detach the market value of things from the things themselves, because if they do not have market value, they will no longer exist. That part's true. That part's true. Um, but the working assumption is that if he goes from five billion to two billion, that he won't in three years be ten billion. So my my main thing about Elon yeah. Musk buying Twitter is that. I am all in favor of somebody having a substantial disruption and state change in something. Mm-hmm. And people who like, I see people freaking out because he's got Twitter. First of all, if you don't like it, just leave. That's true. Right? It's so easy. But they don't want to because they're so much of their value and value harvesting is caught up in it. I got it. But so guess what? Is- they don't have any right to it. Right. He owns it. He can do exactly. whatever the hell he, he wants. He can do whatever he wants. And I've heard him on, I, heard, I I listened to one like four hour podcast with him and Joe Rogan. You can say what you want about him. That dude's brilliant. He is absolutely brilliant. And he works he harder. He is intelligent. Okay. He's intelligent. You don't think he's brilliant. 
Depends on how you define brilliant. I like the people who think big and think different. That's that's what. Okay, I mean. if that's your definition, then he is brilliant. Got it. Uh, so what what by what definition were you saying he's not brilliant? He's intelligent. Uh, so what I would say is somebody who is brilliant is someone who thinks things that are both astonishing and inspiring and correct. Oh, yeah, yeah, he doesn't. Um... If you're right, that you can't be brilliant. You can't say that guy's brilliant. He's wrong about everything. Well, I don't, I don't look at, I don't, I don't connect brilliance with inspiration, but I see what you're saying. Um, so like the thing, just the thing that just came out. He you, ever, this... you ever hear said that guy's so brilliant. He's boring the hell out of me. I mean, just, just take a look at it. Just take a look. I, at I have never, I never got it the, from that perspective. I never Ooh. got the chance to have tea with, with uh, Stephen Hawking. I don't know how fun he was, um, but there is a brilliant play. Actually, there you go. Brilliant play. I think it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Written by Steve Martin called Picasso at the La Pana Gilles. Mm -hmm. And the whole story is about this little French cafe where um, unexpectedly uh, um, Albert Einstein meets Leonardo da Vinci. No, no. Pablo Casso. That's what it was. Pablo I was going to say that. Would yeah. Be Leonardo quite... da Vinci didn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> no, Pablo Casso. It's, it's an unbelievable. Movie. Anyway. Um, but that, just, again, when you, when you talk about brilliance, it's something where it affected you, where yeah. it was something that entertained you, it's caught your attention. Yes. And ultimately, it wasn't something where, again, that's a work of art, so it's hard to say whether it's right or wrong, but it right. didn't, you know, do some sort of revisionist history that said actually Albert Einstein was a sex addict and Nazi. Yeah, right. Well, um, just recently, they, they said, we're going to question all science on that thing. I'm like, great. That should be part of the conversation because science is never 100%. Yes and no. I mean, it is correct that you should question things. You should take a look and see if there's evidence. But they, when they say question all science, they don't mean we'll carefully look at the evidence. They'll say, uh, instead, they'll say instead, well, you know, what does science know? And it could mean anything. That's not questioning science. That's just spreading disinformation. So if you read it, you would say what? If you read something like that, what would you say? If I read something like what? Like, uh, uh, What's the use of science or whatever the question? What saying. I would say is, well, it's obvious. Science is how we actually understand and make predictions about reality. If I'm you just saying, like things to. Hold on. I'm just saying, like, I, I get the answer to the question. I'm just saying, how would you react to someone saying a thing that everybody says question science, but that is definitely not question science? Like, what would you how would you react to it? I'm still not parsing your question. OK, so what? Because um, I, I brought up the idea that questioning science is a really good idea. Yes. And you said. Well, that's that's what's happening there. They're not questioning science. They're saying things Correct. like, I can't remember what you said. Um, all I'm saying, I'm sorry. They're, they're basically applying the old Soviet propaganda approach of just cast doubt on everything, force everyone to, to retreat into nihilism, and then you could do what you want to a dispirited population. Got it. So um, how would you react? So it sounds like you would react to it by saying that is blatant denialism. That's just not, um, okay, yeah. got it. So if, then you what, if, if somebody said, I would like to question the science, I would like to question the established conventional wisdom around this topic point yeah. a evidence point a evidence yeah. point b evidence point c but that's not what they do got it so um what i'm saying is if you don't think that is actually how it's going to play out what you are actually it may be and it may be a practical true point mm -hmm. is you're just saying people who are on there don't know what they're doing that's they're correct sheep I just, I, you know, I don't know if they're, I don't know if they're, they're, they're sheep. That's, that's saying a lot because okay. I mean, I think you feel like it, it feels almost like you're insulting the sheep. I mean, who, what did sheep <laughs> ever do to you? 
But if you were to say that we increasingly live in a society where people seem to believe that opinion is more important than fact and the, le the depth of their feeling is more important than the evidence they have, I would say mm -hmm. that's correct. And that's also a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's just, it's, it's, um, it, it just keeps going back to what my perspective is on social media. Social media is not the issue. It's the that's, people who are consuming social media. That's the issue. That's correct. But, and I do think that if you look at things over time, people adapt and adjust. And it will be the case that at some point in time, generations who've grown up with social media from the start will have fully adapted to it. They will be able to interrogate any statement that's made and assess it instead of saying true or false, but on a continuum and with a degree of uncertainty. It's just that the people here are not ready for it. Just like previous generations were not ready for the traditional internet and previous generations for that right. were not ready for cable TV and so on and so forth. Well, the, the other thing is like the old Twitter, like cancel was so powerful and it probably still is. And it's like, are you critically thinking about what you're talking about? Or are you just saying, I, I don't want to see that person because someone else said it? Well, you've heard me. I don't know if you remember. I've written an essay specifically about what the problem with cancel culture is. Uh -huh. The fact is there's no due process and there's no sense Correct. of how do you actually determine whether or not somebody should be canceled. Right. And even worse how can they redeem themselves? Because everybody loves a redemption story. That's what you told me. Everyone does love redemption story. It doesn't mean everyone could be redeemed. <laughs> Good point. That's an excellent point. I, I don't, what was that character? Did you ever watch uh, Succession? I have watched Succession, yes. The, the Brian Cox character may not be redeemable. Um, who is also, Logan by the way- Logan Roy. On, Logan Roy. And he's also on McDonald's commercials. It's crazy. Um, okay. That's my next one. So what do you have next? So that's that, that, but that was, that was interesting. Yours is yeah. really zagging because that was your high point. <laughs> so again, I want to, but you sure don't know what's coming next. <laughs> I want to make sure the listeners took note of this. Tim Taylor said the high point of 2022 is Elon Musk taking over Twitter. I said one of the good things about 2022 <laughs> was that he bought Twitter. Talk about twisting my words. And, and bemoaning it not not two minutes before just try to make sure that the the listeners are hearing this but here's the thing like just the last thing on it yes it's like everybody's heard that chinese proverb about the sun and the horses and he breaks his leg and like oh that's 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 terrible because now you can't have someone to help and then the next day the army comes around and they're drafting people and they don't draft and every time someone talks about it he's like good luck bad luck i have no idea that's right so it's like let's wait and see the, the 2 billion thing you're talking about, that's like a prediction. Who knows whether that's going to come true? Nobody. Well, actually, I think, again, this is the denialism at work here. You're saying who knows will be true. It's like, no, no, nobody can say for certain that it will yeah. happen. However, right. if we look at the distribution of probabilities, this is a high probability outcome. Fine. So uh, all I'm saying is saying that's a high probability outcome is the equivalent of saying it could happen, but we're not sure. That's not true. Oh, come on. That's not true. You're you're acting as though saying this is an 80% probability outcome is the same as this is a 50% probability outcome. And that's not true. Got it. So if someone has cancer and it's 80% probability they'll die and 20% possibility they'll live, you just say they're going to die? I say they're likely going to die. Okay. They're likely is different than the prohibitive favorite reason you're just going to be. Look, we got to take- As I mentioned, these people, <laughs> the podcast, they were predicting, they're making a prediction. I didn't say right. they so, said it will absolutely happen. So a prediction might be wrong. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. But no, no, but I'm saying 
whether or not a prediction has evidence to support it, whether or not there are already trends that indicate that this is likely to happen is important. Oh, I think what I'm saying, I mean, I get, I get the connection you're making. I just don't make that connection. So like the uncertainty of it is what, what's going to become of the, almost the culture of online Twitter. It's like, you don't know if this person buying it, who a lot of people don't like might not in the long run be a good thing for, and it, and it may, you're right. Well, it may, we'll, it, we'll apply it. We'll apply Elon Musk uh, technique to this. So okay. let's say, you know, because again, it's one thing to talk. So if you were to say, in five years, we yeah. will look back and say with, uh, we will look back and say, it's a good thing that Elon Musk bought Twitter and it brought Twitter to new heights and made it uh, a better place for people to discuss things. How much money would you uh, have, how much money would you have to bet in order to win a hundred dollars on that bet? Right. In other words, okay, how it. much I would you be saying, willing to like, pay? It would be minus 500 or minus 250. Or... Exactly. I'm not a gambling expert like Bill no, Simmons is, but you know, basically you have to assign a probability to it. So on that bet to actually win 100 is probably, you have to bet 750 to win 100. So you're saying, in other words, there is a set, there is a, there are seven and a half or eight and a half to one odds that Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter will be pod, viewed as a positive in five years. No, no, no. When I say negative, seven, I, I thought you were saying, what's the likelihood of it being positive? I said, negative I know it's 500. really, it's real. Whatever. My understanding with gambling is it's really weird. Favorites are negative and then people who are yeah. longer odds are positives. But let me, let me put it this way. I hear what you're trying to ask me. Um, the, the, okay. So the truth is, I don't know. And it is possible that um, it's not going to, but like, but what number would it take? For you to say, okay, that's what's a good the probability? What's the probability it will not end up being a good thing? What's the probability that it will end up being a good thing? Oh, that 40. people people will judge that. Forty percent. So you believe there's a forty percent chance that five years from now, maybe thirty, the consensus will be that it was a good thing that Elon Musk bought Twitter. Yeah, thirty percent. Let's just say seventy okay. percent. But but the under the, the so main. That's, so that's a that's a thirty percent probability. Whereas you were saying before, it's like you know, I think that one of the one of the good things about 2022 is Elon Musk buying Twitter. And now you're saying there's only a 30% chance that people are well, going to no, view it as a positive? Ask me a different question. Ask, and the question is, what was my what was my percentage probability that the people who used to own Twitter in five years, it would be um, better? And the answer is, it's 99% certain it's going to be the same shit. Yeah. The question is, would it be better? What do you think the probability that it would be better than whatever was happens as a result of Elon Musk's ownership? Oh, I, th I think compared to that, I think it's 80% true that Elon Musk, actually, I should say 80% true. It's going to be different. Well, that, that, that I agree with. But we were, <laughs> that question was not different. The question was better. Don't try to wriggle off the hook on this. Yeah, one. that's true. I mean, I just happen to think that the way Twitter was run before. Oh, just, there were a bunch of morons. Right. There are a bunch the of The Twitter board were incompetent morons. The management was terrible. The company was bloated. Right. Somebody should have come in and cut 80% of the staff years ago. All that's right. true. But that doesn't right. mean that Elon Musk buying Twitter is a good thing. Well, I just, it, it, then the question becomes who could have bought it and made it a good thing? Who knows? Nobody in their right mind would have bought it because it's a bad business. And Elon Musk's going to end up losing money on the deal. Probably. He doesn't care. He's got... Oh, he most certainly does care. You think so? <laughs> he most certainly does care. Okay. He, he, again, you know, Elon Musk, like many people who have a hole in their soul that cannot be filled, judge themselves by external perception. And one of the key things that contributes to the perception of Elon Musk is that he's wealthy.
Right. That's parts true. Well, let, let me just, let me re um, respond to your question real quick. So my, one of my working assumptions saying it's going to be better mm -hmm. is because by him buying it, mm -hmm. what I sincerely hope is people will ultimately start seeing, why am I getting so upset about this stuff? Who do I need to talk to, to help me with this? Because stuff that's getting, that should merit like a three out of 10, I'm giving it a 10 out of 10. And then I'm letting that shit bother me all day. Oh, yeah. and, I and I walk around angry and I even dig myself more in that I'm a Democrat or a liberal or whatever it is, or, you know, forget about these people are canceling them. No room or, or even on the other side too. It's just like, I just happen to have faith in the human culture that eventually the idea of working on ourselves be, will become far more prevalent. So your, your feeling is it's sort of a Mithratides kind of situation where increasing the dosage of the poison will cause people to become immune to it. <laughs> okay. I think so. I'm thinking of Princess, Princess Bride right now. Here's Same here's, thing. Yes, exactly. The Princess Bride, I took every poison and built up a natural immunity right, iocane powder. Right. right. No, that's, that, that is the Mithratides effect. Yeah. I, so what I'm, what I'm also saying, by the way, is in five years, those who are 17 will be 22. Those who are 22 will be 27. And it's just like that group is getting help. And that's like a whole different conversation. But I think we need to, I think we need, maybe we do a whole nother podcast and it's where we bring someone in. You probably know people. No, I, I don't think we're going to get Elon Musk to come no, on. Maybe that would maybe. build up the listenership. I'm sure. Maybe we could get some guy named Elbow Musk. Like he's just you know, Elon's long, long ago cousin, Elbow Musk. Um, so, uh, okay, your turn. Go for it. That was a good one. Yeah, that, that was absolutely. juicy. So, and that, again, let me emphasize that was a good thing about 2022. I thought, I think it is. So let's see, I've covered good thing about 2022, so I should cover a bad thing okay. about 2022. Okay. And I think the bad thing about 2022 is that, you know, people are really starting to uh, lose their optimism um, for oh, a variety of reasons. Interesting. Okay. And I feel like obviously we, we've come to the end of a huge, long economic boom. Mm -hmm. uh, there are specific sectors like cryptocurrency that have just oh. been wiped out, wiped out. And so there's a lot of people out there who are starting to lose faith and lose optimism. Now, there's good reason for that. And maybe it wasn't a good idea to be so, quite so optimistic about crypto. But I think that in general, optimism is the right strategy for the world. And people have to look forward to something in order to build things. And so I think it's a bad thing that people are becoming pessimistic and that people are becoming cynical. And again, uh, obviously, I'm not saying that they should just swallow things and say, yeah. oh, that Sam Bankman Freed, you know, clearly just made a couple of mistakes. He's going to come roaring back. Right. But I do think people have to say, look, you know, bad people did bad things. Maybe I fucked up and did some bad things, too, or made yeah. mistakes along the way. But that doesn't mean I should give up. Well, so what is the world like if people are optimistic versus they are more pessimistic, like just in general? Well, it means that they actually invest in the future. Okay. Right? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Sometimes we talk about the animal spirits in the markets, mm -hmm. and you don't want the animal spirits to be wildly speculative, saying, you know, these NFTs, they're going to be worth a billion dollars, or Bitcoins be worth $10, billion, $10 million a, a yeah. Bitcoin. Just because I say so, with, wave my magic wand and, and utter a few incantations. But you do want people to say, I believe that we can make this world better. I believe things are going to get better. I believe in deferring gratification and building for the future. Yeah. 
Yeah. That requires like a mindset shift for sure. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm more thinking about like, if people are walking around pessimistic, like how do we relate to each other differently versus they're optimistic? I guess well, like, if you're pessimistic, then you're probably going to be less generous as well. That's true. Uh, do you think you'll be less, less trusting if you're pessimistic? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so um, let me ask you the different question. Given what you just said, do you think the world's on its way up or on its way down? The world's clearly been on the way up for a long time. And until proven otherwise, I'm going to assume it's going to continue to go up. I agree with that too. So, um, but the thing is, is what's so interesting is like, by the way, the other part, the other reason why we tend to believe that is if you look at history, every single time, every single year in history, people have said, oh, it's all going to hell now. That's true. Every generation does. Every that. generation thinks it's going to hell in a handbasket. Every generation thinks the kids are nuts. Every generation thinks this, and it's bullshit. Yeah, it is bullshit. Now that it does true. occasionally get worse. Obviously, we have the collapse of great empires have happened throughout history. Yeah. But the arc of human history is upwards in general. And of course, that doesn't mean it will continue onwards forever in that way. We could wipe ourselves out. These are all real possibilities. But until that point in time, as long as it still appears to me that human ingenuity is continuing to drive things forward, I'm going to continue to believe in the future. Do you think um, uh, if you take out a demographic, let's just say 18 to 30 on the nose, Mm -hmm. And then 30 and above, which group is more pessimistic? Which group's more optimistic? That is interesting. Under normal circumstances, I would say that the younger group's going to be more optimistic. Mm -hmm. Whether that's true right now or not, I'm not sure. But I think that, you know what, I'll go with the baseline, which is that, yeah, the 18 to 30 year olds are going to be more optimistic. And by the way, you know, the more amazing thing is heading even further down in age. So one of the things that is truism from the world of psychology is that a depressed child is the equivalent of an ecstatic adult. Oh, you mean like looking at things irrationally? Yeah. 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 One of the great things about being a parent is being able to see the world through the wildly optimistic eyes of a child. That's true. But well, you know, the, the thing is, I think our world's definitely on the way up hundred percent. And uh, you know, People react in my life. I've, I have several people react in my life when I just say, hey, do you know that this world is no longer our generation? It is the younger people. And um, David Bowie was like, you know, had and changes. He said the same thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like um, you know, they spit on the newer generation. It's like it's their world. And um, and our job as parents is to adapt to their world to understand it, because guess what? Anything that's going on in their world, if you really deconstruct it, there are things that have been going on for centuries. That's right. And um, and so that's a really provocative question. Do I think, because you're you're framing it as a financial thing, but let's let's face it, like you know, the, the let's say the optimism we had was you know it wasn't it was like what twenty years ago that the internet bubble burst, mm -hmm. and so I'm guessing people. Were pessimistic then and eventually they get optimistic right it's been they were patents so the key is that events prove the pessimism to be unfounded mm -hmm. the internet bubble bursts like oh that was all bullshit I'm like no that's not true it wasn't all bullshit there's plenty of bullshit but you right. got to be able to tell the difference between bullshit and stuff that's real right right
And again, I think it's just this human desire for oversimplification. We like a simple story. Correct. We like the certainty of something that's easy to grasp. And so we gravitate towards things like that. And yet that's not how the world actually works. Well, I mean, this is perfectly related to the Twitter question because it's that's about critical thinking and really understanding it and also understanding patterns over the course of life. Because what you said, I know people, there's a lot of people who don't think this. The generational tension that exists today is exactly the generation gener, generational tension that has, exa has existed for decades. And uh, the only difference today is the velocity of how things are changing is actually moving a little quicker. Yeah. Um, all right. God, that is that is a um, a little depressing, actually. Well, um, no, I mean, I think that yeah, we identified it as a problem, but it's a temporary problem. Okay, we will eventually become optimistic again. Once again, the animal spirits will get going, and probably they'll go too far. But that's just the way it works. Who are the animal spirits? The animal spirits are the emotions that people feel within emotions, which are contagious and spread from person to person. Yeah. With name one of them. Well, it's just like, for example, uh, over the past couple of years, until relatively recently, people were going nuts over cryptocurrencies. They're like NFTs, HODL, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Now, that was clearly not based on any rational calculation. Yeah. It's based on animal spirits, and they were surrounded by other people cheering them on. Okay, so you're not saying like it's a cheetah or a beagle or a hippo. It's just the base instinct. It's the space koalas. <laughs> Do you know koalas have the highest incident of STDs? They're ridden with chlamydia. It's a sad, sad thing. Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Okay. Um, I will uh, do one now. Um, this is this is, uh, this is definitely lighter, but it's something that made me really happy. We've talked about it that a, a number of times that uh, I think we're in the golden age of television. And the two best shows that I watched, I watched a ton of shows this year, the Bear and Abbott Elementary. Mm -hmm. These shows are, they're just incredible. Um, so The Bear is about this, um, there's a family where this one of the sons is off being a really successful uh, um, chef in like a five-star place, right? And his brother runs a, a shop, like a, like a, um, I don't know, like a beefsteak place in Chicago. And he dies, he, he actually killed himself. Um, and the brother comes back to run it. And he's the brother. And, and I didn't know this until someone told me, Nate Pagel, our, our, our shared friend, um, he was in a show called Shameless, which is, I think, still going. It's like 11, 11 seasons, which I've watched. Anyway, so, uh, and then this young black woman comes in to the restaurant because she knows he's there and she wants to learn from him. And then there's all these great characters and all this tension. It is it was interesting because I recommended it to a few people and it's stressful to watch because mm. they argue mm. loud and swear mm. at each other. And then, um, and then it's like, okay, on to the next thing. Like it, at least they seemingly always don't necessarily hold grudges. And I don't know. I, I don't, and I've been asking some of my chef friends like, Hey, does that actually how a restaurant works? Like, yeah, that's how it works. Um, and, uh, I thought it was super engaging. I thought writing was creative. I thought it was, um, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was courageous. Like I, th I just thought that the way they wrote it was courageous. So I really enjoyed that. And, it, and it's, it's interesting. Well, I think we've talked, we definitely have talked about this before. I think they only did seven episodes. I have no idea whether they're going to do um, uh, another season. By the way, that there's a mafia guy in it who is the great Oliver Platt. 
Oh my, he's just, Oliver Platt. You just want to watch movies that he's in. Um, he was great in Bullworth. That was, he was amazing. Um, so the other one's called Abbott Elementary. And I think it started in 2020 um, because they had a short season to begin and now they renewed and they got another season going right now. And it's about a middle, I'm sorry, elementary school in inner city Philadelphia. And it's written by a woman named Quinta, Quinta Brunson, uh, mm-hmm. who is an African-American or black woman. Um, and she stars in it. And it is so good. I mean, certainly some of the characters are like a little bit type typish. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a network, a traditional broadcast network sitcom we're talking about here. Correct. All. So it does have some of that thing, but it's like so fresh. And And the other thing is like, it's one of the first shows that tried to copy The Office that I think did a great job of it. I don't even think Parks and Rec did a great job of copying The Office because The Office was like singular. In fact, I don't think The Office US did a great job of copying Office UK. But um, those two shows, in fact, um, my daughter came over on Christmas Eve and I made her dinner and we talked all night about stuff. And then before she left, we watched the last episode of White Lotus, which was good this year, not great. Uh, and then we watched the, the the final two episodes to catch me up with Abbott Elementary. And we love that show. And there's something really, it's it's not quite Ted Lasso in that it's like, oh, it's kindness. But it's like, it's like, it's just sort of like warm because it's not like hardcore or anything like that, but it's honest. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the woman who stars in it is um, super optimistic and she just keeps getting she just keeps getting disappointed but she keeps at it so uh and and by the way this is sort of a take and it's not really even 2022 it's i hate yellowstone we don't even need to talk about that i hate that show (laughs) that show is so bad so bad i haven't seen it it's very popular i know it's terrible anyways the the guy taylor sheridan is creating this entire yellowstone universe spinoff after spinoff I think it's, I watched. He's got more shows than Law and Orders. <laughs> There's a lot of, I've always thought they should do a Law and Order SUV. Like <laughs> criminals only, only do crimes like in an SUV or something like, or to an SUV or um, um, anyway. Uh, so, I, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot to talk about, about that, uh, but man, they're both enjoyable and really different. And are two specific examples of that thing we talked about about the golden age of tv got it very cool all right your turn all right one last uh one last high note so this is a political high note that most oh. people are not really aware of but in the in 2022 it was one of the best years for political reform structural reforms to the election process oh Interesting. I didn't know that. So one of my friends is a brilliant woman named Catherine Gale, who's a very a successful businesswoman who sold mm-hmm. her family uh, food company and started getting involved in politics. She's a lifelong oh, Republican who then raised money for um, yeah. raised money for for Barack Obama and and so sort of very bipartisan. And a number of years ago, she and Michael Porter came up with this idea that the reason why politics is having so many problems here in the United States is because the system which we use to elect our officials rewards polarization. Right. We're like, why is, or why are things so polarized now? Well, it's because the system rewards it. System because, rewards it. you know, we have a system where we have these primaries 
and you run in a primary in order to win the nomination for your polit particular political party. Correct. Both political parties tend to gerrymander like crazy. So yes. even at, at, at so, but this is true even at the state level because uh -huh. some states are considered red states and some states are considered blue states. Right. But in most elections in this country, the important election is the primary election. That's actually true. You're right. And to win the primary election, what you basically have to do is be crazier than your opponent. That's true. Because whether you're right in now. a safely Democratic seat or a safely Republican seat, the nominee who appeals most successfully to the party activists who are the crazies on right. the left or right wing is right. going to win the nomination. That's true. Now, this is uh, there was a great Atlantic Monthly article about this. Actually, they don't call it Atlantic Monthly anymore. They just call it the Atlantic. Okay. There's a great article about this a number of years ago where uh, the writer basically said, hey, this is the unintended consequence of reforms in the 1960s and 70s. So before that, political candidates were chosen via smoke-filled room. <laughs> so local political bosses would get together, take bribes, whatever, and then pick who they thought was going to be their candidate. for On both sides? On both sides. Okay, got it. And then in the 60s and 70s, we did away with that. We created this open primary system. It's more fair. Why, why let a bunch of, of probably, probably problematic white men smoking right. cigars decide everything in this world? And self-interested probably as well. And self-interested and corrupt. Right. All those were true things about the process. And oh, so people fixed it. it. Yes, yeah, the primary. And they fixed it by creating the open primary system, which resulted in gradually decade after decade, more polarization. Yeah. I hear you. And so Catherine and Michael Porter said, how do we fix this? And they, what they decided is we need to fix the way that, that the candidates are chosen. So they yeah. have designed something called final five voting, uh -huh. which means that you have an open primary where it doesn't matter what political party you are. Everyone votes uh -huh. and the top five finishers go on to the general election and run against each other. So yeah. you can have 50 people like there would be in a recall election, the usual assortment of porn stars, reality <laughs> television people, and so on and so forth. The top five finishers go on to the general election. And then yeah. in the general election, it's, it's conducted via ranked choice voting. So you don't have endless runoffs. Right. And so it's like, okay, you have five people. If nobody got a majority, candidate number five is eliminated and their votes go to the second choice on those ballots. Yes. That fails, candidate number four is eliminated. It goes on to the second or third choice on those ballots yeah. and so on and so forth. And the result is, if you wanna win an election under that system, you have to try to appeal to the majority of people in your state so gonna, yeah, or so your district more or what have you. This is something that they were able to get, get put into effect in Alaska. And in mm -hmm. Alaska, what happened was two key things. There was a Senate election which reelected Lisa Murkowski, who was a moderate Republican. Yep. Lisa Murkowski lost the pro would have lost the primary to more Trumpy Republicans. I didn't know that. And in fact, the fact that it was switched over to this open primary, she did not finish in first place in the initial round of elections. Okay. Then when it got to the general, she easily won because she was the per God, she was the person who was uh, the most liked overall yeah. by the entire population got it then alaska is puzzling in that they only have a single congressional district they're so small they have more senators than congress people okay and they only have one congress person and so there was an election for that con for that congressional seat and the three main candidates who ran were a democratic candidate mary Velota, mm -hmm. uh 
Republic, two Republicans, Nick Begich, who was actually the son of a longtime Democrat in Alaska, mm -hmm. which was one of the things that sort of held him back a little bit. Okay. And Sarah Palin, whom you may remember. I do remember her. Now, Sarah Palin, being of limited mental capacity, correct, went ahead and, and in the election didn't seem to really understand what how it worked. She told her voters to list her and her alone on the ballot. Like, don't put anyone else on the ballot. So, so, dumb. so they had what this campaign manager comes up with that strategy? Really? A, camp a campaign manager who wants to keep their job because their candidate says, this is how we're going to do it. <laughs> and so they had this election. It was a special election to fill the seat vacated by Don Young, who had, pa who had passed away. And um, what ended up happening was, I think, you know, the, they went through, they did the first round of elections. Yep. And I think, Paul, I think that uh, Pelota, I think that Palin may have finished first with Pelota second and Bagich third, but it was all pretty close. Mm -hmm. And then when we went to the general election, because of the fact that she had told her voters not to put anything, anyone else on the list, and because the baggage voters despised Palin, even though, you know, even though, um, you know, nobody won an outright majority, once baggage was eliminated, Volota won the election. That was a special election for just two months. Incredible. God. And so they amazing. had a, a general election again, this in 2022. And so they ran it again with the same three candidates. Mm -hmm. And we still had the same result. Because That's the point amazing. is, it doesn't make people are loyal to parties, but if there is a candidate that they just do not like, then guess what? Maybe they're, they're going across the aisle. Yeah. I mean, the easy way, easy converse to that is she might have won a, a, a election the way they or a primary the way they did it. You're saying Sarah Palin? Yes. Yes. No, she probably would have won the primary and then won the election right. under, under the old rules. That's a that's an interesting high point to discuss. I mean, um, yeah, I agree with you. And um, I don't know. It's, uh, the question is, will that actually? It's like the um, Elam ending is a great idea. Yeah, and it got implemented at the All Star Game, but is it going to ever be in the NBA? Who knows? Well, that's the beauty of it. So what what the Final Five voting movement is doing is it is doing constitutional amendments or propositions, depending on what's required in different states. Uh -huh. So the other thing that was on the ballot in Nevada was to do a constitutional amendment to change Nevada's system of primary voting and elections. Mm -hmm. And, what and that also won. Oh, nice. Now, because it's a constitutional amendment, it has to win twice. Oh, interesting. Okay. And it won despite the fact that it was opposed by both political parties. <laughs> I love that. Oh right, my the God. political parties don't want any part of this because they're of like, course they you're, you're taking away our power. Why should we let, I can't believe that you're going to take the power away from us and give it to the people. I mean, that's just wrong. That's just, the, and again, we, were, the irony, we weren't good. The irony is remember this whole thing began with people saying, Oh, we have to do away with the smoke filled rooms. The parties have too much power. Let's give voice to the people. And yet what happened was those unintended consequences led to even greater power for the party activists. And Got now it. they're decrying the fact that you're going to take that power away. Now, who knows whether this will work in the long run. Maybe there'll be some other distortion that will come up. But by God, we've got to get away from the kind of polarization we have in this country.
That is an excellent way to analyze a situation and also prove my point about Twitter. <laughs> Which is? You don't know what's going to happen when they make the change. It might be bad. It might be good. Oh, well, you know, I, I was just saying that to sound fair. I mean, of course, I think it's going to be good. Oh, right. Now, I'm just saying the uh, change to the primary, which actually turned out to be bad. Right. It seems like it's good. Now, I, I and, and, and by the way, that's not so I'm going to support your point there, which is five years after the change passed, nobody would have thought anything. Ten years, nobody would have thought anything. It's only now, right. decades later, that we see the drift that the incentives have produced. Yeah, I guess I guess the idea is you go far enough to the left or right and you'll capture those voters. And anybody who's inclined to vote for either one of those parties is going to vote for you anyway. That's right. Um, that's great that Senator Murkowski won. Um, it's exciting. Um, so, you know what? Um, how about if we like? Do you have a? Did you have a list, or are you just like literally coming up? With oh, I'm just making this stuff up. You don't think I prepare for this? <laughs> I'll just go through really quickly what my other ones were because I think we, we were probably close to being done because we got to do the last. Um, that's true. Segment. Um, Argentina winning the World Cup. Yeah. Um, the very first one I was going to do is I am so tired of superhero sequel movies. It is just. The good news is the American public agrees with you. <laughs> well, but they keep making them. Yeah, well, you know, they, they'll stop making them at some point in time, just like they stopped making uh, Rambo movies. Uh, that's true. I, I get you in Police Academy 7, but guess what? What's the number one uh, the, uh, show of movie in the theaters right now? Avatar 2. Now, that a isn't superhero. a superhero movie. Yeah, I, I get you. Um the Astros World Series, which wasn't, I didn't like that. Uh, <laughs> I was, was going to bring up an incendiary topic. And I haven't even, I didn't even watch it, but I wanted to bring it up to see your reaction was to laud the Lakers documentary that went out on HBO, even though it completely misrepresented well, Jerry West. Well, it wasn't West. a documentary. It was a, oh, right. it was it was a not. television it was, show. It was actually yeah. pretty good. I watched it. It was good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, the reason, the reason that they didn't like it is, you know, it, well, it did misrepresent certain things, of course, yeah. but it also represented certain other things quite accurately, which they didn't like either, which is <laughs> the fact that Magic Johnson was uh, a, a notorious womanizer. Yeah. The fact that Jerry Buss was a notorious womanizer. The fact that there were players who were on drugs. All these things were true. Right. Right. They don't like that. Um, the next one was going to be John Bernthal. Do you know who he is, the actor? Oh, of course I know John Yeah, he's Bernthal. amazing. He's awesome. The last one would have taken us the whole the whole podcast. Which See, was... Tim, you, you people don't know this. We're going to take you behind the scenes. So Tim has historically, for these episodes, written a list of potential topics. And I tell Tim every time, we're never, there's no way we're going to get to all of those. And so Tim tried to correct for this by saying, we just have one topic, the best and worst of 2022. But now I discovered that you actually have a list of like 10 items to go <laughs> through. List. So even though you were trying to cut down to one thing, you were still actually stealthily getting I, 10 I things. just thought we'd spend like three or four minutes on each one. That was my mistake. The last one, this would have been provocative. It was going to be about fentanyl. Fentanyl? You're, you're pro-fentanyl? I'm not necessarily <laughs> pro-fentanyl. I am anti the way they're dealing with it. Ah, because they, they look at it as a problem of supply and it's not. It's a problem of demand. And that was the case. It's always yeah. the case. So anyway, uh, okay. And that there, was really... I believe that you know one of the big things they're trying to do is to make it so that you can get Narcon uh, over the counter. Yes, I've heard that. Um, and guess what? That company is going to make billions, right? Um, so, uh, okay, well, let's. Th that was an um, invigorating talk. The good thing is that's going to be on record. Yes. We're going to see what happens. Um, so 
now we move on to our for all class. five listeners. <laughs> By the way, that includes the two of us. So technically it's three, right? And I think my mom probably listens. So we're down to two. Um, so uh, this is our real men uh, um, crying cry segment. Um, yes. And um, so basically we uh, each of us tells a story about something we saw or experienced this week where we saw a man get emotional. So do you want to start? Yes, absolutely. And this ties in with one of the themes, which is I was watching a video which took place after Roger Federer's last match. Uh-huh. And Roger Federer is Swiss. Mm-hmm. They're known for being effusive and emotional. No, wait, actually, they're known for exactly <laughs> are not. the opposite. Yeah, yeah. And Federer in particular was known for precision, reserve, really not the kind of guy who is out there, sort of like the anti-McEnroe. Yeah. Much more of a, who would be an equivalent Borg. tennis player? Borg was like that. He was emotionless out there. Much more of a Borg. Yeah. And so, you know. Maybe even Pete Sampras. Anyways, Sam- keep going. Exactly. Pete, Sam- Pete Sampras is another great example. But, you know, after his, after the match is over, you know, he comes out to speak. Yeah. And it's this seven minutes of him speaking. And at first, you know, he's sort of thanking everyone. But by the end, you know, he's literally in tears. All the emotions are coming out. He's thanking his wow. wife. He's thanking his parents. He's being hugged by the other tennis players. And it's just a, a great example. You know, here is somebody who is so reserved, so controlled for so yeah. long. And that was part of what made him great. The fact that he's so ferociously disciplined, but here he is, his career is now officially over and he lets it all out. And it's really a remarkable thing to see. You should go check it out. What a great observation. You as a connoisseur of men crying. Yeah. Just love this. Was was Nadal in the audience? Oh, yes, he was. Because, you know, the last match was not a singles match. It was a doubles match with him and Nadal playing. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. I love, I love the doubt. Um, the la- at the labor cup. Yeah. So I guess the, you know, that certainly brings up a bunch of questions. Like, was he actually like that behind the scenes or was this just one of those things that just that had been building up? And so if he um, was, he, and again, maybe he let it out for other people, but he chose to let it out for the entire world. That's amazing. And um, I think it's something that, you know, people responded to really positively. I think people like seeing the human side, like seeing the emotions. I, I, I just did a TikTok on this about the power of crying with, you know, my daughter seeing it. Um, great. So here's my, that's a great one. Mine, mine is not going to be as world renowned. Uh, it's not even going to be about anybody else about me. Um, so I've been watching the show shameless. Mm. Um, and it's with William H Macy and the guy from the bear he's in it. Uh, and a bunch of people, Emmy Rossum, you might know, but I don't know any of the other ones, but it's a really good show. And, Um, the thing about it is they have songs all throughout the show. But what I found out at first, I found the site, which is where you could find every song. They like by season, they have it. And what they chose to do is um, use songs that have like 20 to 70,000 listens from people you would never heard of probably saved them a bunch of money. Anyway, um, there was a song by uh, they're they're called Coco or Kobe Kubi Koo or something like that. And it's things above. And it mm-hmm. is um it is a really, really beautiful song. And it, it, it what the whole the, the the premise of the song is I I have to believe that 
and hope for the things above when I pass away. And, um, you know, there, there's this part, part where like, it's like, um, you know, don't worry, darling. Um, it'll all be all right. Like when someone passes away and I start thinking about my dad and, mm. um, loss and I just started crying. Like, and, and I hadn't had a cry in a while. So I, I, of course I, I was by myself and I let it rip and I pretty much do that with people I trust as well. Although sometimes I'm just sitting in the, in the coffee shop. I do it, but it was just like a, a good reminder because the song is this interesting combination of being poignant and really hopeful. Mm. Uh, and, um, and then I sent it to some friends, particularly friends that either recently lost someone or lost someone this year. And, uh, I don't know. It's just, it was, a it, it's such an interesting string of things that got me to hear that song. I would never, ever have heard that song had not Nate Pagel said, you know, that guy in the bears and shameless. And I said, I haven't watched shameless. Like, Oh my God, you would love it. And it was in season nine that it happened because I've been binge watching it for the last two weeks. I think anyway. So um, it was good for me to uh, feel again, feel or feel that that was awesome. And it made me realize it's like, oh my, am I, I don't think I'll ever completely grieve my father. I don't think I'll ever do that. Or losses of relationships. There's always something in there like that. Yeah, it's never yeah. empty. It's not going to be the case that someday you'll just like, oh, that's it. I don't have yeah. to feel bad about it anymore. Yeah. It's not the way it works. It doesn't. I also say that this is the first instance of a self-reported man yes. crying <laughs> in true. this segment. That uh, is true. I do hope that during the process during the time this was happening you had the presence of mind to go into the bathroom look in the mirror so you could see yourself crying because otherwise you're technically not seeing a man cry <laughs> the closest i came is i have like a metallic teapot uh-huh and i could sort of see myself as like one of those funhouse mirrors all right um i think that counts that's uh, sort of anyway another great episode uh it, it's in the books um and again, for our listeners, please subscribe, uh, rate, and review the podcast. We love our listeners. We're going to eventually do a five questions se um, segment where we're going to ask people to send us five questions, and we'll just answer them. Uh, other than that, I think we're done. And and uh, you know, the thing is, I love you, Chris. I love you, Tim. <laughs>